Riverhead Books and Read It Forward present Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, a podcast with Marlon James and Jake Morrissey. I'm very excited to talk about dead people because I love speaking ill of the dead. It was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. You know what? I'm not going to defend that book. Enough about you. Let's talk about what I think. They're Jane Austen characters. I love that everybody's like, why? Not a fan of The Hobbits. I'm about to walk out of this room right now. If you're going to be that obvious, why don't you just hit me with a two by four and be done with it? That is some serious shit. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Marlon and Jake Read Dead People with your hosts, Man Booker Prize winning and best-selling author Marlon James and his epically interesting editor, Jake Morrissey. Epically? (laughs) As we always do on this podcast, in this episode, we will be talking about dead authors and the books they wrote, telling you in no uncertain terms what we think about them, and along the way, maybe one of us will say something that will prompt you to check out these authors and their books. Because while we don't claim to know everything, we do know what we think. And this is the place where we'll tell you. So buckle up for a conversation about books that will be surprising, unexpected, and enjoyable, at least to the two of us. So let's get started. Marlon, introduce yourself. Oh, God, I was trying to find adverbs to go along with your adverbs. <laughs> you know, I'm the, the, the scintillatingly interesting Marlon James. I like that. I like that. And I have I, no idea what scintillating means. It means way more. Here. We means way more interesting than I am. Ah. Anyway, so I read a few books. Jake has edited most of them epically. Thank you. And um, the most recent was Black Leopard, Red Wolf, which came out this year. And is out soon in, in paperback. Paper. Mm-hmm. So I actually intentionally used the word epically uh, to talk to start us off on the right foot, um, as I really want to talk about epic fantasy, which for me are the sweeping stories and novels told over countless books or trilogies or or series. Um, but let's let me let, let me ask you first: How did what's the first fantasy novel that you remember reading? You know, the first fantasy novel I re- remember reading, I didn't think it was a fantasy at the time. I thought it was just this really incredible story. It was Arabian Nights. What attracted you to the Arabian Nights? I, you know what attracted me to the Arabian Nights? I first read Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. It was a very short story when I was probably four or five. So the idea that it was part of something bigger, yes. I mean, my mind just exploded. So I was probably around probably still around maybe nine or ten. What I liked about them is that they were about, or I saw them at at any rate, as stories about kids who actually were getting one up on the adults Mm -hmm. around them. Oh, yeah, they're also magical and can pull some major shit on you, so pay attention. Yeah, the the magic carpet thing, man, my, you know, between that book and having my own carpet, I was pretty sure I I could fly. (laughs) And, um, what were you waiting for? You know, and I also just want to point out that I was clearly reading the children's version. Well, that's the thing. If, when you read Arabian Nights as an adult, you're like, oh, this is a lot of shit went down in this. I was like, man, how, how did they get anything done with all that sex? <laughs> well, and, the, and you know, Shahrazad, who kept, who, kept taking, mm-hmm. who kept not taking stuff off, and suddenly this, this uh, 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 you know, mesmerizing the audience that she was talking about. Mm-hmm. But the, the, for me, it was also a place where you realized... I don't know anything about this world. I don't know anything about Arabia. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it it adds to the sort of exotic nature of of Arabia, and it's also very much in a lot of the stories are very pre-Islam. 
So uh-huh. secular Arabia is also very, very different. You know, you know um, a lot of it got in, 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 absorbed by Islam, like the jinn mm-hmm. or the genie, whatever you want to call them. Right. Um, these spirits and the magic carpet and 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 um, Sinbad's great voyages and so on, yeah. and what made it what made me realize at the time that I was I was reading let's call it a novel was that it's not just these were stories it was the bigger story never stopped being interesting which is how is Shahrazad going to make it through tonight totally and it also seemed like the story never ended no. Was, I mean, it was there were stopping places, mm-hmm. things happened, and there were conclusions, but it didn't end. It just yeah. kept going, and it remains to this day. I mean, there really is nothing quite like it, and it's it always is a counterpoint to the usual way a good eighty percent of epic fantasy is been written, which we can talk about. Well, the when when the first the first epic fantasy novel I remember reading was much more prosaic, which was. A wrinkle in time, mm-hmm. and this was about for me. It was about regular kids, who who learned that they were extraordinary, and they had to go to another solar system to learn it, and they had to confront evil to learn it. And these were just kind of normal people who were running around their ramshackle house, who had two normal twin brothers. They had a uh, you know a, a, a younger brother who was kind of, was a genius. And an older sister who was kind of a misfit, and a other guy who's sort of, you know, also an outsider. The whole idea that these there were these kind of collected nerds, sort of like a much less interesting, um, uh, uh, you know, nine oh two one zero who happens to be able to kind of go through to, you know, basically bend time, and they end up confronting evil. And I I had never read anything like that before, and. To this day, I have not seen the movie version of the of A Wrinkle in Time. Not because I'm not interested; it's that I was afraid that whatever vision it is in the in the movie wouldn't mm-hmm. live up to the experience that I had reading yeah. it as a kid. Yeah, I don't know if any version could live up, though. Even a good movie. I also that um, um, before I love the Lord of the Rings films, but before the Lord of the Rings, there, there may have been fifty million Frodo's. Now there's only one. Well, that's true. That's true. And as somebody who is, bless me, Father, for I'm about to sin, uh, not a fan of Tolkien or The Hobbits. Wow. I know. All right. This podcast ends <laughs> right here. I, I'm just not into short guys with hairy toes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Make this, you know. Oh, hairy are your toes, Jake. <laughs> apparently not hairy enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the thing about um, uh, The Hobbit and the, the Lord of the Rings novels to me is that I kept thinking, where are the girls? Mm-hmm. It's it's all about a bunch of chuckleheads who are running around trying to find, I guess. Well, a what ring. girls were you looking for? Because if it was Barbarella, that doesn't count. <laughs> I'm just saying. We love me some Jane if, Fonda. If, we if got it me. was some barely clothed woman, that's not that's not the strike for feminism we're looking for. Well, I, I for me, you know, they go off on these quests, and yes, it's Arthurian, yes, it's mm-hmm. Icelandic saga, it's all those things. But it's 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 a it's a story that was written in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, Tolkien was a you know a, a British academic who grew up, who lived in Oxford and you know lived in a kind of a cloistered world, but. Come on, it's what? All right. Well, what if though? I, I totally get that, and I think that um, one of the things is it. It doesn't surprise me that with Tolkien and with Lewis and with a lot of these writers, 
in their wake. There, there are very few adult women in them. Mostly because I don't think these guys hung around a lot of adult women. But I also think, but in, in Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, and actually C.S. Lewis had female characters yes. in his work. But I wonder with Tolkien, because Tolkien in a lot of ways was even more traumatized than war, by war, by Lewis, that if that's not the reason why his his space is such almost a 90% male space, because it's also the same for Tim O'Brien. You know, um, and, you know, I mean, I don't want to go too far with a non-fantasy guy, but he's also responding to war. And war, in a lot of ways, is a very sort of male space, in a way. Well, I, I get the Tim O'Brien reference, but the Tolkien reference is a universe that is completely made up. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, you know, World War One and World War Two were horrific. It was a it was a traumatizing experience that was you know, that left scars that, you know, these people never never ever recovered from. At the same time, they're living in a world where there are people besides men. Mm-hmm. Now I realize I'm 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 trying to. I'm tr- I'm I'm damning Tolkien for not being somebody that he is, whether he wasn't. He ain't woke. Exactly. So <laughs> I'm 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 going to lose this argument. But just as a reader, I'm like I don't I don't really want to know what Gollum's up to or or Gandalf or. Maybe you're just more interested in girls than Tolkien was. Well, okay, I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> I'm willing to I'm willing to go there. Well, you mentioned C.S. Lewis. Are you? Mm-hmm. Did you like? Do you like any of the? Do you like any of the C.S. Lewis beyond the famous Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? Well, I mean, so C.S. Lewis was really big during my, let's call it my Jesus freak phase. Um, well, he's much more Catholic and much more Christian, certainly, than a lot of right. other and, fantasy writers. And when I was, you know, when I was really, really, really Christian, really involved in church, I read a lot of that, a lot of his Christian stuff. Funny enough, the names of which now elude me. But um, <laughs> so, so my experience of Lewis... The adult writers are explicitly Christian stuff. By the time I got to Landwich and the Wardrobe, I was way too old for it. Okay. So you think it's only better, it, o- it only works if you're a kid reader? Oh, yeah, but so much fantasy only works if you're a kid reader. And so many comics, too. I think... Um, okay, then, all right, I would argue that, all right, you may be right on the line, which, I mean, um, mm. the wrink- a Wrinkle in Time. Why do you think so many grown-ups read Lord of the Rings? Well, I don't think Lord of the Rings is a kid's book. I don't think it is either. Um, but do you think do you think um, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, well, I guess. Oh, yeah. Of- I think, but but I, I'm, I mean, I may be wrong, but I do think that was one of, the, one of their bones of contention with each other. Um, certainly Tolkien's contention with Lewis that he just never wrote an adult one or never had his characters grow up. Oh, um, interesting. But then you know it's it's a lot of you know it's it's one of the things we we one of the the, the um, things we lay at, at fantasy all the time this kind of arrested adolescence that uh, that are that are in a lot of these a lot of these books. Well, I'll 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 give to Tolkien the sense of the evolution of the story and the evolution of these of this mm-hmm. band of men or males whatever whatever hobbits actually are that they do evolve over the course of mm-hmm. the stories and yeah. But he also, I mean, the other things that I, the two things I think that are also at play with Tolkien. One, the the, the idea of overwhelming evil, which only somebody who'd been through World War One would mm-hmm. have. That's a particular kind of World War One kind of shell shock. Um, there's also the whole the Christian thing that the devoutness is there, which is why, um, you know, we haven't brought him up yet. He's another, you know, because he's another person from Oxford. But why he's so radically different, Philip Pullman. 
So his dark materials, in a lot of ways, is the anti-Tolkien and the anti-C.S. Lewis, because that kind of religion as a force for good is not there. Religion as a force for evil. Right. Well, Paul, he's still alive, though. Yeah. And therefore... Oh, therefore, not in this discussion. Out of the purview of this sorry, discussion. Sorry, exactly. Philip. Well, no, if you... If, all right, so you think Tolkien is sort of the top of the heap, and then Lewis? Um, white male Europeans, sure. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is a. It is a lot of uh, a lot of that. Because once you leave that, then I mean, you know, native writers have been writing fantasy for a while. Totally. Totally. Um, you know, woman. You know, Ursula Le Guin. Um, Love her. You know, I hesitate about bringing up Miss of Avalon because of what we've been hearing about Marion Bradley lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was a, a very, you know, feminist counterpoint to again these very male narratives again British yes British fantasy is also almost you know I mean thank God for Angela Carter <laughs> well my, I mean for Who my should mo- be in this talk well for my money my favorite my favorite fantasy writer of that universe is Mervyn Peake mm. who Gormengast. wrote the Gormenghast trilogy exactly and it, I, re- I read them as a teenager and then I read them again as an adult and it it took me I mean it's about obviously this this enormous, infinitely large castle called Gormenghast and the, this character named Titus Grone, who is the son of the, of the Earl of Gormenghast and, and, and the amazing, weird, creepy characters who kind of wander through the novel and inhabit the castle. And it took me two readings to realize, oh yeah, this guy is writing about the British Empire. Mm-hmm. This guy is writing about the, the sort of inner corruption of the world of post-war England mm-hmm. and because these these novels were written and published in the 50s and and when you look at it through sort of that prism it's like the whole the whole sort of different sense of who these people are why they're why they're obsessed by ritual why they're so rigid in terms of of holding on to traditions and rituals from the past that have no meaning anymore and mm-hmm. shouldn't in a world that that has moved on so it's a real um uh, it's almost a polemic in a way that is that I had never mm-hmm. read before and it was Unbelievable to me, at any rate, it was unbelievably interesting because I hadn't seen that on the page before. No, I'm with you on on peak. I think um, that it is, in a lot of ways, the most scathing takedown of of British society. It's the kind of thing that that Evelyn Waugh was trying, but ultimately didn't have the guts to pull off because he's still, a, you know, Waugh was still pretty much a part of that society that he was trying to skewer. And he was writing about the people who were theoretically sitting across mm. him at a, at a, in a nightclub. I yeah. mean, at least with Gormenghast, it's a completely um, uh, created universe. Yeah, but, uh, but it's also this, it's also this, this, this sort of, um, font of a better term, let's call it limp dick Britishness. <laughs> where... LDB? Yeah, uh, LDB, where... I'm going to attack society, but I'm going to make it magical. Right, like, like, right. Which is not a knock on the book because I, I, I adore um, the Gormenghast, the Gormenghast trilogy. But it says something that they always, that when they're make, trying to make these capital B big statements, they always re, they retreat into fantasy to do it, which is interesting, I think. Well, it, yeah, it's a, it's a way in without it, you know, without it being rude. Mm-hmm. Without it sounding quite so blunt, or that I'm hitting you over the head with a with a machete, and uh, it's much more about okay, well, this is one, this is this is at arm's length, but let's talk about a world that I'm creating, and I'm pointing the finger at its corruption and its innate, 
and mm. its innate kind of rottenness at the core. Yeah, what I used to the, the Garmin Gas is the book I usually recommend to readers who have like have, they're they're now they've they've read all the Harry Potter, they've more yes. past that. They're they're right at that age where you start to buy into that lie that now that you're older you should read mature fiction. Right. Um, quote unquote mature fiction and social realism, which I, I've always argued is as as fantastical as any werewolf. Um, <laughs> but I uh, said, so, oh, you should read Gormengas. Yeah. Read Gormengas. Also, The Longships, although that's not really fantasy. It's an imagined historical novel, but it's not fantasy. I don't even know that one. So, Gor- so The Longships is, is my people come, my son doesn't read. I oh, go, oh, I have the book have for I you. Have I got a book for you? Right. right. Read The Longships. It's got, it has Vikings in it. <laughs> It's, it's all Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. It's all well. I I do think we need to talk here about the fact that that you too have written your kind of your own your own epic fantasy, but mm-hmm. but but essentially on your terms. I mean, this is not this is not dead white guys epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you decide you wanted to write something like Black Leopard mm. Red Wolf? It's funny. It's it's we've been talking a lot about Tolkien, and and I've been arguing pro Tolkien because you are crazy. <laughs> Um, no, you just but, have, you just have no taste. But have you seen what I'm wearing? <laughs> um, uh, but the, the, a lot Black Leopard Red Wolf came out of an argument over something Tolkien related. It was it was um, I think that it was this would have been 2010 maybe, and they just announced the cast for The Hobbit, the film The Hobbit. Okay, a thoroughly unnecessary film, and. Um, and you know, I just saw it. It was just typical. It was just all white. Yeah, used to get all white men. Yes, and the token elf woman, and uh, and I just, I, I was exhausted with the conversation before I even started it about oh god, why is this so blindingly white? We're blindingly white. Why is there no representation? Why couldn't this be a more diverse cast and such and such? And and my friend. At the time, was saying, well, you know, Lord of the Rings is a British story, and it's a, it's about European myths and so on. It's about British legacy and British history and blah blah blah. And I said, you know, dude, Lord of the Rings isn't real. Exactly. Uh, it's you can do anything you want. That's with it. right. As I remember saying, you know, if if we went to the Shire and there was an Asian Hobbit, you wouldn't have cared. No, it, and it wouldn't have made any difference. Yeah. And he kept kept on and on. I say, you know what, bro, keep your fucking Hobbit. <laughs> Which will go down in infamy. That's why I made sure to say it at the Tolkien lecture. Anyway. Um, so that made you think that, I should write my own? No, it made me think I should read more. Because it's all well and good talking about European this, European that. But if somebody asked, okay, which African fantasy I should read, I had no idea. So where did you look? Where did you start? So I, for one, I started looking at the obvious, like um, books that are speculative we haven't talked about that divide yet speculative whatever and i'm not even going to get into that um but a book like amos tatola's my life in the bush of ghosts or um now is he a is he a, a, a is he a contemporary of he's a contemporary of chino achebe okay in fact a little before because achebe will talk about tatola's influence um it's 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 a character it's, it's the writer that achebe and gabriel garcia marquez would have in common Okay. And when we're talking about magical realism, a lot of magical realism is people trying to write Tutuola. And he comes from what kind of literary tradition? African literary tradition? He pretty much invented the literary tradition. I don't think there was no before. I mean, there was before Tutuola. There is... Um, well, talk a little bit about what, where he came from. But he, 
Tutuola is almost his own tradition, but he also came with the tradition of Forest of a Thousand Demons, which was the first novel written in Yoruba. It was published in 1939. That's how okay. far back it went. And it was that novel that dared to create a kind of an epic story, totally steamed in African legend and, and lore. Like there were there were um, spirits in it, there were demons, there's you know, the adventures of it's adventures of Akara Ogun. And um, a lot of the African epic fantasy tradition came out of this novel by Dio Faguna. So if we're gonna and by nineteen thirty nine, that's what that's older than Lord of the Rings. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So we, 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 while that European tradition, which we've spent a lot of time talking about, was going on, the African tradition is all, just as old, and that was beginning. So, of, so course I re- of course, I read Forest of a Thousand Demons. Well, how far, how far, how deep was your dive into? Super deep. Because if you're going to be, if you're going to dig as deep as, say, Tolkien dug, then you have to read what Tolkien read, and you right. have to read in the way he read it. So he's going to go back to the original sources of epics when epics were just as fantastical but way shorter, mostly because the epics were oral. Yes. So if you're, if you're Tolkien, you're going to read Ingil's, Ingil's saga. You're going to read the sagas of the Icelanders. You're going to read about, um, you know, Ivar the Boneless and so on. If you're writing the book I am writing, you're going to read Forest of a Thousand Demons. You're going to read My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. You're going to read Flora Nuapa's Goddess of the Sea. But you're also going to read what they read, which okay. is to go back to the old epics, like the epic of Sanjara, you know, which you heathens know as the Lion King. All right. Now, before we before we get to the uh-huh. Lion King, so your approach, how, how would you say your, the approach you had in Black Leopard, Red Wolf differs from or similar to Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. all, the, all, the other, all the other people that we think of when we think of, of epic fantasy? In other words, where are you, where are you on that spectrum and how mm-hmm. do you, where do you step away? Where I am on that spectrum is that I also wanted to write a novel with a, novels with a huge sweep. Yes. That... Um, it's it's an it's epic in a sense of it's this massive work of imagination, but you want it to have the sort of scope of a big novel, mm-hmm. of a wide sweeping novel, tons of characters, but also the stuff we want from a novel. We want characters who we believe in and characters who have the capacity for change, and stories that are telling something bigger yes. than just here is my magic wand and zap somebody. Um, you know, I wasn't necessarily trying to make a statement about contemporary society, and I don't think a lot of fantasy novels do that. But at the same time, I was interested in power and corruption, mm-hmm. and and um, and and yeah, and just the, the 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 plight of 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 people and and how people transcend themselves. In a lot of ways, it's also the very classic kind of. Um, fantasy thing of the hero trying to find themselves what is my purpose yes but i would argue that the difference between black leopard red wolf and anything else that tolkien or lewis or or mervyn peak has written is that i don't actually know what as Mm -hmm. a reader i don't actually know who to believe Mm -hmm. in black leopard yeah well that's a big difference though because i think with with a lot of european fantasy you you just assume whoever is telling you the story is telling the truth yes which is why a lot of it is in third person. Right. Um, the, the 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 sort of the voice of the author who's like you know, it came to pass betwixt the under meadow. Exactly. It was. It's yeah. the, it's the authorial god. Telling- it is the authorial god, 
And and I mean, one could say that's one of the big issues with fantasy. There's just too many authorial gods yes. in a lot of it. Whereas African storytelling, they make it quite clear the trickster is telling the story. And and you decide who you mm. believe. Yeah. So, like with this trilogy, with the, 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 the Dark Star trilogy that I'm writing, it's three different versions of the same story. So even that is a break from the typical epic story where you have part one, part two, part three. Right. Um, where in this, part two will totally contradict what part one did. <laughs> I was warning people, you, by now you may have had some, you know, you may have developed some feelings for some characters. You're so going to regret that. <laughs> You're gonna regret that. Let that be a lesson to you all. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's the, the 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 whole idea of truth, which I think is really essential to a lot of fantasy. The telling of it. This is the version. Of, this is the truth that I'm telling you. This is the the the, the authority of the narrator. Well, and, I was and, interested in that. And and to your point earlier about about you know uh, World War One. I. I mean, the thing about the thing about something like the the Lord of the Rings is that it's one story. Everybody's clear about what the mm -hmm. goal is. The goal is achieved. In Black Leopard, Red Wolf, it's basically a story, but it's clear that there was a something that went mm. before and there's something that's going on afterward. It's all part of a larger kind of flow of humanity, mm. basically. Yeah, and I mean, I also was taking some pot shots, as much <laughs> as I love established <laughs> fantasy. Um, you know, it becomes... For for Tracker, the main character in the novel, it becomes a figure of mockery, this divine child who shall lead, shall lead them. Yes. Stop me if you've heard this before. Yeah, and and he he, he you know he calls it out, which may be me secretly calling it out. Right. Um. It's 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 something that's not just in fantasy; it's in sci-fi as well. Right. It's it's Matrix. Right. You know the 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 Christ figure who shall lead us. Yes. Which I think is what one of the again it could be one of the issues we could lay at a lot of fantasy's door that we still we're still seeing a lot of Jesus Christ. In Absolutely. A lot of these, in a lot of these things, and whereas I, you know, I mean, he's a cool dude. Well, I think what we're also but, looking for is somebody who is able to provide order where there's mm -hmm. chaos. And it's and and also the and it just we're looking for somebody. Which is a lot of, which again is also one of the the, the problems with with um, a lot of fantasy not written by Ursula Le Guin. You know, it's just like this sort of we're looking for. It's not even somebody. We're looking for the dude. Yeah, we're looking for. Yeah, we're looking for the dude to help us out. We're looking for the dude. It's 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 almost right up there with the Will the White Man Come Back Alive film. <laughs> I think I've seen that one once or twice. Matt Damon is usually in it. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Coming up next is the part of the podcast we call Dead People, Places, and Things. These are the aspects or details of the books or authors we've talked about that strike us as interesting or unusual or that we might have specialized knowledge about. So let's start. What do you What do you want to talk about, Marl? Um, are we talking about other people's books or my book? <laughs> Either one. <laughs> I may. Well, let me. I'll start. How about that? Okay. How about I start? Mm -hmm. Um, I've been thinking about, I've actually been thinking about the first novel of C.S. Lewis. Um, it, well, I've actually been thinking about the first the first novel of C.S. Lewis's space trilogy, which is called um, Out of the Silent Planet. And it tells the story of an, of an English academic, stop me if you've heard this before, who- I've never heard of that I kind know, of story. Who's out walking one night and it gets dark and he, he knocks on the door of this lonely house and asks if there's a place for him to- to spend, you know, that he can spend the night. Damn the and, carcassity. Exactly. And there are two two men in there who 
essentially kidnap him. And then, well, what does he think is going to happen? Well, of You're course. a damn stranger. You show up somebody's house. Can you put me up for the night? Exactly. But what happens is the three of them end up, and I'm and I'm not making this up, um, on a spaceship for Mars. God, I was really hoping you said in a love triangle. <laughs> and they end up. They end up. Um, the the main character is essentially a a sacrifice to the creatures that live on Mars by the by the two other guys. But what happens is the main character escapes and he essentially kind of wanders around this this kind of Martian landscape. Mm. And the thing that I for me that I find so interesting is that he by exploring the kind of Martian landscape and having you know interactions with the with the aliens and the creatures who live there, it's that it explores kind of man's best and worst characteristics. And the interesting thing for me too is that uh, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were friends, and this is a story that uh, Lewis agreed to write when he and Tolkien said Lewis would write a space travel story and Tolkien would write a time travel novel, but Tolkien never finished his. So mm-hmm. he his was called it was supposed to be called the Lost Road, which was supposed to link Middle Earth with the um the modern world and it never did so lewis did finish his book which is called out of the silent planet so hold on because how much of that when we're talking about let me start over just hearing you describe that made me think about one of the the unsung heroes of fantasy who everybody borrows from sometimes without even sometimes just taking wholesale um edgar rice's borrows john carter from mars or John okay. Carter of Mars, which is essentially the John Carter plot. Yes. Like, there are sci-fi films I will see where they don't even bother to change the names of anything. Um, <laughs> now, I got tons of issues with Edgar Rice Burroughs. Well, and well, you should. Um, you know, King Solomon's man, his ghost still has to account for. But it's, how, it's amazing how much of that kind of extraterrestrial fantasy imagination is still these writers trying to write John Carter. Well, I mean, this is a little bit off the point, but but I mean, Ursula K. Le Guin is, has is also somebody who wrote about um, the I think it's the Earthsea trilogy. Yeah, and the idea of a little boy who is plucked from obscurity, who is who is um, determined to be a talented wizard, who ends up at a special wizarding school, who has constant battles with something. Uh, the novel calls a shadow, um, you know, and Ursula uh, Le Guin was was very diplomatic when she said to a British newspaper a while ago that um, she wished that J.K. Rowling had been a little bit more um, positively forthcoming. That's not a correct, direct quote, but a, li- <laughs> a little basically recognized publicly a little bit more the debt that that Harry Potter owed to mm-hmm. the Earthsea stories. And that's true. I mean, mm-hmm. and to your point about 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 Burroughs and John Carter is that some of these um, conceits or tropes are kind of never ending. And we're mm-hmm. in other words, they're things that people are using to reinvent, to tell different kinds of stories, to yeah. kind of to look at look at the world in a different way. And you know the, you know Burroughs and his views of eugenics, notwithstanding, there's mm. there's a there's value in reading Carter to see where other writers have kind of gotten their inspiration from, or or where that kind of where some of that internal 
inspiration in the stories that, that other people want to tell came from. Mm-hmm. But even a series like Earthsea, and even when you get to the tales outside of the trilogy, just how um, remarkably and sort of emphatically feminist they are, mm-hmm. um, and, and how much they reflect a lot of, of, of you know, Le Guin's just philosophy of life and of people, then she's in the territory that a lot of these people just can't really follow. And if we're talking about, you know, epic fantasy and giants of fantasy, I mean, Earthsea for me is a major one. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, um, I guess some people still think it's a novel written for children. It started out that way. <laughs> but that's like saying Lord of the Flies is a book written for children. Well, that's right. That's right. And, and you know, even something like The Left Hand of Darkness, which I wanted to talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, it actually posits the question, what if gender was, inter- was, was fluid? What if it mm-hmm. was interchangeable? And this came out, like, you know, in the 20th century. Mm. And the whole idea of, uh, of, a, of a civilization, basically where people are genderless for whatever mm. it is, 26 days of the month or whatever, and then for three or four days they are essentially fertile, and they abs- they assume uh, sexual characteristics without their choice. In other words, they can't choose to be male or female. Mm-hmm. So the ho- it's basically... I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt that that uh, Le Guin's father was a noted anthropologist. It's mm-hmm. very much looking at how people live in a kind of speculative universe through the prism of the anthropology that she obviously um, knows a great deal about. Mm-hmm. So, the, I mean, she's somebody who is. Yes, she's gotten her her share of attention over the years, but she certainly is not as popular as Lewis, Tolkien, or 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 the boys. Mm. Well, I guess because a lot of fantasy is still read by boys. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's it's I think it's it's a legacy of sexist marketing that's coming back to haunt us. I'm just like still thinking, you know, no boy should wear pink and no girl should wear blue. This idea that women girls don't want to read adventure, it's just bullshit. It's it's and it's and it's still but we're still teaching of our sexist way. You know, I'm not saying tear down gender norms in the in the kindergarten, but maybe tear them down in the books. Right, right. Um, uh, it's as I, I was just saying it. The book I recommend to boys is the Long Ships. Right. Everybody should read the Long Ships. Well, and also as you know, listening to to you know um, uh, teachers, you know high school teachers or junior high school teachers or middle school teachers, like, well, we need to find a book that the boys in class will find as interesting as the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, why can't they teach boys Wuthering Heights, which is a terrible novel anyway. I grant oh, you that. God, atrocious. Yeah. I want to have them keep reading. I don't want them to stop. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, uh, Heathcliff as, as, uh, um, as, yeah. uh, I don't even know. Some as, of this teaching, because I know lots of boys who totally dog little women. Well, I mean, one fantasy that I've always seen, um, the, the, the readership, but it's still mostly male, but I see a lot, hear a lot more women reading it, is Dune. Good. Good. And I think because Dune, um, we can we can argue about all the issues that, have, you know, the things that haven't aged well in Dune, but it's also dared to put a very non-Western spin on it. Yes. On that whole story. Um, of course, we can nitpick about it now, but also that's the, the, the thing I like about you know, I like about um, Dune, and I say this very reservedly since I've never re- actually finished Dune. Um, <laughs> okay, I have. I can tell you if you're right or wrong. Uh-huh. Um, 
I no, it's just the from what I've, I've read and and know of, just a sort of commitment to such a thoroughly foreign world. But he's still borrowing a lot from certainly from what I've read. He's certainly borrowing a lot from Islam, maybe Sufism. Oh, okay, I, that I don't know. But the thing that I thought you were going to say that I think is really interesting is you've got the main character who's a, who's male, and the the basically the people who are around him who are his basically busy, biggest supporters, his mother and his sister, are obviously women. Mm-hmm. And you've got a, you've got a, um, it's a little bit like the Jesus story again. You've got mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene, you've got, you know, Mary, the idea of the savior who's coming and who's got the women, you know, by his side who are going to change the, change the world for the better. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, if, if the Jesus story is because we, we, we grew up Christian, even if we're not religious or there's something to it. You mean from in a larger non-religious yeah. way? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, if you look at a picture of Jesus, you're like, Rodrigo, Rodrigo Borgia looks super hot. <laughs> well, all right. If you're, a, if you're a novelist, or if you're a writer at all, if you're a novelist or a writer at all, where do you look for, presumably you don't look to, you know, Christian literary tradition for your inspiration. Is it, part of the, is it part of the makeup that people tell the story? I think it is if you don't read what your heroes read, which is a point we talked about before. Like, it wasn't just enough for me to read to take it out of fantasy for a second, it wasn't enough for me to read Toni Morrison. I want to read what Toni Morrison read. Yeah. Um, it wasn't enough for me to read. Um, but not every reader does that. No, but then they're not writers. So. Well, true, <laughs> true. But I, I mean, I, somebody can read Beloved and think, this is a great book. Mm-hmm. And stop there. Exactly. I'm done. Yeah. But if, I'm, if I want to write books, then I, I, you can't have to go to the ground zero. It's like, if you're going to be a rock and roll musician, are you going to learn blues or not? You don't have to. Right. But all the great ones know blues. Right, right. Because I think I, I, I want to know, I want to be electrified by what electrified Morrison. I want to be, that's why it's it's not just enough for me to read Tolkien. I want to read what Tolkien read um, or read what Tertullo read or so on. Because mm-hmm. there is something about that. Maybe it's it's that original wellspring. Maybe you go to that original stream and a lady in the lake pops up. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's, and I and I've gained from doing that. That um, going back to reading the stuff that they would have read have been certainly influenced how I would tell a story in ways that it just wouldn't. Like I can, it's like when I was reading comics, I could tell um, artists who only studied other artists, other contemporaries, as opposed to studying what they studied. Interesting. Okay. You know, yeah. or poets who only read contemporary poets and don't read what their contemporary poets read. Mm-hmm. You can tell. You can tell. Okay. That's worth thinking about. <laughs> Finally, we come to the segment of the podcast that we like to call, I don't give two shakes of a rat's ass what you think. This is where each of us makes a case, persuasive or otherwise, for a book or author that we know the other probably won't agree with, but one we're willing to stand by our picks. This would mean nothing to you if it only piss off Tolkien fans. I actually think Tolkien's best work is all his incomplete, fin- un- is un- sorry. I actually think Tolkien's best work is actually his unfinished stuff. That he started and couldn't finish or yeah. didn't, or wasn't, like he was, he died I before. Wasn't, or probably died before. Like um, his tale of Sigurd and Gudrun, um, you know, he, he, or his Beowulf. His stuff where he's going right back to the source material instead of like using it to create a Middle Earth. He just tries to interpret it his way from the source text. And okay. I actually think his it's it's 
I regret his death for, for mainly because I was like, dude, you are onto your best work now. And so then you died. So, <laughs> so you're saying he got better as he got older. Yeah. See, that is, I wish, I wish more author. I wish you could say that about more authors. I wish you could say that about any author. Well, I mean, there are obviously there are people who will come out brilliant and mm. then spend the rest of their lives trying to achieve the same brilliance that they had mm. at the outset, and then the ones who kind of get progressively better. It's the difference between Picasso and Gauguin, for example. Yeah, I was going to say also as a podcast that focuses on dead people, we're going to be going through a lot of shitty work. <laughs> that's true. So <laughs> that's what we're here to do. We're here to go through the shitty work so you don't have to. The only thing I want to mention about the uh, in this in this segment is my favorite line in. In epic fantasy literature, it comes from The Left Hand of Darkness, which is the Ursula K. Le Guin novel, which is the one about sort of gender fluidity. And it has what I think is the best line in any novel that I've, that we've, in a novel that we've talked about today, which is... Sure, say it to the novelist to his face. The king was pregnant. <laughs> now, that you're not going to read that in very many other Novels, boys and girls. It's not. It's not going to happen to friends in novel. It's not going to happen to friends in novel. It's not going to happen in uh, 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 Agatha Christie. Sure, it's shit not happening in a Richard Ford novel (laughs) or a Marlon James novel for that. Uh, It could happen in mine, (laughs) but I'm not dead, so we're not talking about that. That's right. That's right. So that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. We actually would be interested in hearing from you, so feel free to send us your feedback and ideas at wereaddeadpeople at prh.com. If you like this episode, we hope you'll subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate this podcast, as it will help more people discover Marlon's brilliance and my inability to speak in complete sentences. Epically. Epically, that's right. And you can follow Read It Forward and Riverhead Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on all things books, all of them written by living authors, of course. And we'll have links in the show notes to all of the books that we've talked about today. So until next time, go read some dead people. <laughs>